0: Hi everyone, it's Rick Barron, your host, and welcome to my podcast, That's Life, I Swear. Theodore Hall. Now there's a name that doesn't ring a bell in many history books, but it should. You see, he was born in the United States, and as a young college physicist, he was one of many who worked on developing the first ever atomic bomb during the Manhattan Project that helped end World War II. I say young because Ted Well, he was only 18 when he started work on the atomic bomb. Oh, there is one more thing. He later became a very reluctant spy, delivering details about the design of the atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. Here's the rest of this story. A few months ago, I saw the movie Oppenheimer. If you've not seen it, please do. It's a very powerful movie, and there's a message in it for all of us. Now, Towards the end of the movie, and heads up, Spoiler alert. It was revealed that during the development of the first atomic bomb, a spy had infiltrated into the Manhattan Project. The name of the spy was Klaus Fuchs. He provided information to the Soviet Union about the bomb early on during its development. Klaus was a brilliant theoretical physicist who left Nazi Germany to Britain and became a British naturalized subject. Now, from the time he started to work on Britain's wartime atomic bomb project, Klaus was in what he later described as a continuous contact with Soviet intelligence, providing theoretical calculations that were necessary to construct the atomic bomb. Now you're probably saying, well, wait a minute, I thought this story was about Theodore Hall. It is. So give me a little rope here. Hearing this information in the movie about Kloss, I thought, wait, there was only one spy? Could there have been more? Well, it so happens there was. Enter Theodore Hall. In this episode, I'm going to refer to Theater Hall as Ted. Now, this is the story of a boy, yes, who was about 18 when he was recruited to help contribute to the building, the first ever atomic bomb. Ted was born in New York City in 1925, and he was a whiz kid, a child prodigy. He skipped three grades in elementary school, and his application to Queens College was accepted at the age of 14. After receiving a special scholarship, Ted later transferred to Harvard University in 1942, where he excelled in mathematics and physics. He graduated with a physics degree at the age of 18, as one would do. Now, while he was attending Harvard, Ted became friends with his roommate, Savelle Sachs. Remember that name. At Harvard, Hall became very involved in the university's wartime defense research efforts. And Professor John Van Vleck at Harvard recommended that Ted apply for a position regarding a program known as the Manhattan Project at Los Alamos in New Mexico. Still only 18, he applied, and much to his surprise, he was hired as the youngest physicist to work on the Manhattan Project. When Ted arrived at Los Alamos, he soon discovered the magnitude of what he had walked into. He had had some knowledge, but until he went through his orientation and assessed the highly sensitive information that was given to him, that he finally realized what was happening. He was part of a project that would develop the most destructive weapon known to man then, the first ever atomic bomb. Ted was part of a team that designed an implosion device to initiate the explosion of the plutonium core of the atomic bomb. That design was tested successfully in the first ever explosion of an atomic device, codenamed Trinity, at New Mexico on July 16, 1945. After working on determining the critical mass of uranium that would be used for Little Boy, the first atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Ted was assigned to conduct experiments and tests for the complex implosion system of Fat Man, which would be used on Nagasaki. Now remember, Ted was still 18, leading a team of individuals older than him working on both bombs. In the summer of 1944, Ted realized that Germany was losing the war and just couldn't develop its own atomic bomb. Seeing firsthand the world's first nuclear explosion in July of 1945, and its immense power, it was astonishing and troubling to Ted. Now Why does this matter? Ted was debating about the consequences of an American monopoly on atomic weapons once the war ended. Now, what was especially problematic was the possibility of the emergence of a fascist government in the United States, should it have such a nuclear monopoly and want to keep it that way. He was not alone in this thinking. Top physicist Joseph Robloff, along with other physicists, petitioned first President Roosevelt, and later President Truman, to put the project on hold, and not use the bomb on the people of Japan. Some scientists even thought it would be best to inform the Soviets about it, which never happened, of course. During my research on TED, came across my desk that Lieutenant General Leslie Groves, who was the director of the Manhattan Project, had revealed to a group of top physicists at a dinner that the real target of the United States' use of the atomic bomb was the Soviet Union. Hearing this information made Ted even more disillusioned with the idea of a nuclear arms race and the potential consequences of atomic bombs. In 1944, Ted told friends he was returning to his home in New York City for his 19th birthday. Turns out that that claim was false. The real purpose for Ted's visit was to stop by the headquarters of Amdog, the Soviet Union trading company that's located on 24th Street in Midtown Manhattan. There Ted was given the name of a contact, Sergei Kurnakov. It turns out that Sergei was also the same contact for another person, Seville Sachs. Remember him? Ted's Harvard roommate. Ted and Seville were unaware that Sergei was a NKVD agent, or secret police organization in the Soviet Union. It didn't take long for Ted to quickly pass on crucial detail about the atomic bomb's development in the Soviet Union. Some of the content provided detailed information about the implosion-type Fat Man bomb and several processes for purifying plutonium. Seville was Ted's courier. Seville subsequently delivered the same report to the Soviet consulate, when he visited under the disguise of checking about his relatives, who were still living in the Soviet Union. Starting in 1944, Ted and Seville continued passing information to the Soviet Union through their contact in New York. Well, the spying journey ended when the FBI arrested Ted, Seville, and a fellow spy by the name of David Greenglass. Greenglass confessed to spying for the Soviets and implicated Ted at the same time. Now here's a side note about David Greenglass. He was a machinist by trade and worked at the Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico from 1944 until February of 1946. Perhaps a more critical note about David is that he provided testimony that helped convict his sister and brother-in-law, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Both were convicted of espionage and sentenced to execution for their spying activity. As for David Greenclass, he ended up serving nine and a half years in prison. Now, despite his treasonous actions... Would you believe that Ted was never prosecuted for his espionage activities with Russia? Ted later moved to England, where he worked as a biophysicist. He died in Cambridge, England, in 1999, at 74. He was a brilliant physicist and a complex figure who remains controversial in American history today. Now, you're probably scratching your head and wondering how in the hell did Ted avoid jail time? With the FBI questioning Ted for many days after his arrest, Nothing developed that would have thrown Ted behind bars. Why? Well, there are two schools of thought on this one as to why this may have occurred. The first scenario, the U.S. government decided not to pursue legal actions against Ted due to concerns that a trial could potentially reveal other damaging secrets related to the Manhattan Project. However, an even bigger issue needed to be kept under wraps. The United States Army Signal Intelligence Service better known as the Vernona Project, had a system that was able to decrypt Soviet messages. It was in January of 1950 when the Venona Project intercepted a cable identifying Ted and Seville by name as Soviet spies, in addition to David Green Greenglass. It wasn't until the public release of documents and many other pages of Soviet wartime spy cables that in July of 1995, nearly all of the espionage regarding the Los Alamos nuclear weapons program was attributed to one man, Klaus Fuchs. The FBI questioned Ted in March of 1951, but he wasn't charged. The FBI and Justice Department claimed that this was because the only evidence was a Vernorna document and that the U.S. didn't want to let the spies know that they had broken their elaborate and presumably unbreakable code. Alan H. Belmont the number three man in the FBI at the time, claims he decided that all the information coming out of this project would be inadmissible in court as hearsay evidence, so its value in the case was not worth compromising the program. Now, scenario number two, and this one's pretty interesting. David Lindorf, a writer for The Nation magazine, wrote an article on January 4th of 2022 that provided a different twist to why Ted evaded prison time. Now, David was able to obtain, on appeal in 2021, through the Freedom of Information Act, the FBI file for Edward Nathan Hall. Now, if that last name sounds familiar, it should. You see, Edward was the brother of Ted. The 130-page file included communications between FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover to the head of the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, General Joseph F. Carroll, showing that Carroll had effectively blocked Hoover's intended pursuit of Ted and Seville, fearing what Ted's arrest would have in the climate of the McCarthy era. This fear forced the Air Force to furlough so as not to lose their top missile expert, Ted's brother, States Air Force Major, Edward Hall. Carroll, a former top aide to Hoover, before he became first head of the USAF OSI, he immediately allowed Hoover's agents to question Ed Hall on June 12, 1951, but restricting the questioning to matters involving Edward himself, not his brother Ted. Within several weeks of that session, the Air Force, which had conducted and completed its own investigation into Edward's loyalty, promoted him to lieutenant colonel and later colonel and elevated him from assistant director to director of its Missile Development System. Now, these promotions were a clear slap to FBI Director Hoover. Colonel Ed Hall went on to complete the development of the Midman Missile System Program, and then retiring from the Air Force. But at the urging of the Pentagon, he went on as a civilian to lead the development of France's own nuclear uh, IBM system. In 1999, the Air Force honored him, seven years before his death, by adding him to the Air Force Aerospace Hall of Fame. After reviewing these two scenarios, in my opinion only, I think it was a combination of both, along with a bit of help from his brother. It was fortunate that Ted had connections in the right places at the right time. So what can we learn from this story? What's the takeaway? A year before his death, Ted gave a more direct confession in an interview for the TV series Cold War, On CNN in 1998, saying, and I quote, I decided to give atomic secrets to the Russians because it seemed to me that it was important that there should be no monopoly which could turn one nation into a menace and then turn it loose on the world. There seemed to be only one answer to what one should do. The right thing to do was to act to break the American monopoly. End quote. Ted was haunted, as he explained years later, by thoughts of how to spare humanity the devastation of nuclear power. Was he a hero or a traitor? You decide. I remember, he was only 18 years old, an adolescent intellect, or a savant. Well, there you go, my friends. That's life, I swear. For further information regarding the material covered in this episode, I invite you to visit my website, which you can find on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for show notes calling out key pieces of the content mentioned and the episode transcript. As always, I thank you for listening and your interest. Be sure to subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you soon!